Anyone else found there's peace in his presence? Amen. Hallelujah. John chapter 4. I want you to hold that spot in John chapter 4. I'm going to get there. Before I do, I felt like the Lord was telling me I need to start with this. So. Is Zion in the room? Is Zion in the room, Bez? No. It's helping the kids. Just so everyone knows, <clears throat> I had an entire different message I was going to preach. And then last night, Zion starts talking to me about John chapter 4. I was like, oh, man. You know, only ministers will understand what I'm saying when, like, you're prepared for something, and then last minute the Lord says, do this instead. And just, he just flips the script on you. And so I was like, whoa. So I was going to preach, actually, I was going to preach from Luke chapter 10 today, the story of the, the Good Samaritan. And Zion started to just talk about John chapter 4 and the woman at the well. And, you know, when you, when you hear the Lord say, do that, you better just do that. Okay? So if I seem a little unprepared today, at least you know why. If I am hacking up in any form or fashion, it's because I was laid up for three days in bed this week, and it was that why he sounds so nasally? Oh, you know, he always sounds that way. Whatever, okay. Um, but I want to thank God for those who prayed this week, and uh, for those who actually came to my home. Emmanuel and, and Michaela drove uh, was 90 minutes to come over to my house and pray over me, laid, my, laid hands on me and prayed over me. Amen. So thank God for, for that level of faith. But I just feel like the Lord wants me to to lay out some things for this series. And so, um, I mean, this is kind of what it feels. Give, give them, uh, Tiana, let's give them that video quick. Because this is, I want to love like Jesus. But this is how it, how it feels sometimes when, right? I want to love like Jesus. Also me, right? Like, is that anybody else in the house? Come on. Why are you, why are you messing with my guac? What the heck, bro? That's my guacamole. What the heck? So... <laughs> That's how I feel. I want to love like you, Jesus, but then, then God sends somebody to test that love. And, and yeah, okay. Let me start with 1 Timothy chapter 2. I just want to establish something quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this. Verse 3 actually says, at the end of it says, God our Savior, he wants all people to be saved, verse 4, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Real quick, does that exempt anybody? Thank you, Derek. Thank you. That exempts no one. Me, me and Calvinists, we have, a, we have a real hard time with these kind of scriptures, okay? Because there are those who are predestined according to them. But I look at that and I say, I got a God who desires that all would come to, to repentance. So sorry if there are any Calvinists in the room. I still love you. But uh, I, I hold what the word says right here. It says desire. He wants all to be saved, all to come to the knowledge of truth. Anyone familiar with... Um, the evangelist and the founder of Salvation Army, William Booth. Anyone familiar with, historically with William Booth? William Booth was that, uh, that um, English evangelist that founded the Salvation Army, and he was a godly man. And I want to show you something that he wrote uh, towards the end of his life. He said this. It was a warning. He said, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be, here it is, religion without the Holy Ghost. Whew. Christianity without Christ. We're seeing that in America all over the place. Here we go. Here's a rough one. Forgiveness without repentance. Ooh, you got some family members like that, right? They just, ex they demand to be forgiven, but did you actually ask for forgiveness? Was there any repentance in any way? Then he says this, salvation without regeneration. What does that mean? I'm saved, but there's no change. Regeneration is the work of the Spirit of God in your life. I'm glad you're saved. I'm glad you're not going to hell, but regeneration is what the Spirit of God is speaking. Do I need to pray for something right now, Jess? Are we okay? Are we okay? 
Tell me how to pray. Right now? Hey, Heavenly Father, I, I, nothing bothers me, y'all. Come on, let's stretch forth our hands and pray. This is what we're here to do. I'm not here for a show. I'm here to see the Spirit of God move. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in this moment, whatever's happening, you're the God who heals and the God who comforts. You're the God who restores. You're the God that is present even now in this moment. I speak life where there's been death. I speak healing where there's been any kind of sickness or pain. And I speak the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I come against everything in this room that is trying to keep you from hearing the word of God. I'm, I'm maybe not struggling in this way, but whatever is trying to, to rob that seed today of God's word, I come against it in the name of Jesus. If there's any prayer warriors in the house, help me, help me call out those those birds of the air, Jesus said, that try to snatch up that seed as soon as it's sown. I rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus. Amen. No distractions today. Nothing getting in our way from receiving everything God has for us. If you believe that, say amen. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He's a good God. He's a present God, and he's healing now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Jessica, do I need to keep? We good? Okay. To God be the glory. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I don't know. I, thank you, Lord. This, this is why I'm glad he threw off my service, my whole schedule last night. I'm thankful for that because I don't want you to ever think that we just come here and we have to go through the motions. Let me say that again. You might, that might be your marriage and that might be your home life and that might be your school life or your work life, but that is not supposed to be the house of God. Okay. I'm not saying we don't have a schedule. I'm saying we stick to his schedule, his agenda. Because some of you come in here so bound up anyway with stuff, de- dealing with all sorts of things, and you think my little mini message is going to get you out of it? No, only God himself can deliver you out of this Mari clay. So I've got no problem hitting the brakes on what I've got to say so that God can speak to your situation, and you can leave different than how you came in. Amen. Anybody still just want to see God? I mean, just want to see and experience God. Ooh, thank you, Lord. Now I know why I'm going to John 4. I'll get there in a second. In these last days, politics without God. My Lord. I felt like he was prophesying over America. Heaven without hell. Right? Because everybody goes to heaven. That's not, you won't find that scripture, but that's what we believe anymore. Right? God needed another angel. God needed another flower. God needed another star. God, what? Where do, uh, forgive me if you ever said that or believed that, but you won't find that here. God actually needs you here to keep advancing his kingdom here. Amen. But death is a part of life, just like heaven and hell, a part of the afterlife. We've been preaching this whole series all, what now, two months now. And I started this, this Pastor Olga kind of laid out a staggering announcement. It still boggles my mind, the amount of people that not only die every day, but the amount of people that die and go to hell Every single day. The, the simple math says it's probably over 115,000 people every single day die and go to hell. Now with that, uh, that stat right there in mind, would you, would you just mind looking at your neighbor for just a moment? Just get, just get in their face if you can. Just ask them, okay, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? 115,000 people going to hell every single day. What are you going to do about that? All right, let's give them an answer. Why don't you look back at them, look back, let's give them an answer. 
Tell them this. Firstly, let me get you a breath mint. Okay. <laughs> and then secondly, tell them this. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to depopulate hell. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to depopulate hell. That's what I'm going to do. Amen. Amen. Here's the reason I, I felt like I, I needed to, to um, not just jump right into the, to the message. Here's what I feel like I, I need to do. I need to remind somebody in this place, so hear me, that you have been crafted and created and customized by your creator to be a world changer. If you believe that, say amen. Come on. Don't you, don't you serve a strategic God? I mean, right, when he creates us, he equips us. When he creates us, he empowers us. He doesn't give us just natural abilities. He also gives us supernatural giftings that he places inside of us. And why are they there? Because there's a need that is going to arise in the time period that you exist on the earth. So God places what is in you for what he needs to happen in the earth. Somebody say, I'm wired. God has wired me. And what that simply means is I'm wired for my work. I'm not wired for your work. You're not wired for my work. You're wired for your work. It is in you. Would you point at your neighbor and say, it is in you. God placed it there. It's in you even if you don't recognize it yet. It's in you even if you haven't discovered it yet. It's in you if it's still sitting dormant. It's in you if you don't believe it. It's there because God created it before you were formed in your mama's womb. Your purpose and the earth was meant for such a time as this. And I feel like I need to tell somebody, even if your birth was unintentional and you were a surprise to your mom and dad, you were not an accident on this planet. God ordained you. God made sure you were here when you were supposed to be here. I heard someone say this one time. He said, great men and great women are only born at the time when they are needed the most. you just upset about work this week or your relationship or these minor little things. You don't even realize you've been placed here when you were needed the most. Whoo, come on somebody. So let me tell you like this. I got two quick things I want to give you. Number one, your existence is an answer to a problem. Write this down. My existence is an answer to a problem. Well, nobody knew a, a little shepherd boy by the name of David. They didn't know who he was, Rev, until he dropped a problem. Oh, a big problem at that. A problem with the name Goliath. But when he dropped that giant, everybody knew who he was because your existence is an answer to a problem. Let me just speak this real quick. Racism has been a Goliath in our history. And you are here right now, born right now, alive during this time period to deal with this Goliath. Addiction has been a Goliath in our history. And you are born here and now to deal with this Goliath called addiction. Dare I say abandonment or even pedophilia. These things are giants in this time of history. And you are born now to deal with these giants. Above all else, religion has always been. Goliath. The most segregated day of the week is Sunday. When we split off by the color of our dust. Ooh, not in here, sir. Not in here. Listen to me, I, I don't know how it is in other churches, but we made up our minds a long time ago, whosoever will. 
Send them, Lord. We want to reach whosoever will. Send them. I am not your white pastor. I'm a man of God. You're a man of God or a woman of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. I've got new DNA flowing through my system because I've been born again. We're part of the same family. I'm just calling out these giants. Because literally they've been taunting us for decades. It's time to bring these things down. And you are here to be an answer to this problem. Isn't, isn't that why Jesus collaborates this in Matthew 5? He says in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. He tells us you are a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Verse 16 was what we, we, we literally did for two straight days of the VBS last week. Verse 16 says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Somebody hear this from Jesus today. What he's simply trying to tell you is this. Your purpose is always an answer to the world's problems. That's why you are here. It's not an accident. It's not by chance. Your existence is an answer to a problem. The second thing I need to say before I get to John 4 is this. We can have church and buildings, but we can only be the church in the world. Oh, revelation, Kristen. Just hit people's soul right now. Wait, what do you mean? Wait, wait what, am I coming, what am I coming every Sunday for then? You're coming to have church, but then you're supposed to go out and be the church to the world around you. I think about it like this. Mark 16. Jesus was getting ready to ascend back to heaven. So what he does is he gathers his, his disciples together and he gives them a command. Here's what he says in Mark 16, 15. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe, here it is, going to hell, will be condemned. Verse 17. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. I don't have time to list them all, but he tells us that we'll, that we'll pick up, uh, if we have to, serpents, and they ain't going to harm us. We'll drink poison. It won't harm us. He tells us that in his name, we will cast out demons. In his name, we will speak in other tongues. In his name, miracles, really healings will happen at, at our hands. If these miracles are supposed to accompany those who believe. Matthew's account is just a little different. Uh, Matthew 28. Of the, of the same situation, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The end of verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. God. Biblically speaking, what do we call this command? What do we call this command? Biblically speaking. It's a, it's a term you might, if you look at your Bible, you can, it probably says right there. What's it called? You say it again. Come on, pastor, say it again. The Great Commission. Pastor, does it, it, does it, is it called the great suggestion? Is it called the great omission? Oops, I forgot. It is the great commission. It's a commandment. This isn't just when I feel like it or if I'm up for it. It is a command to go everywhere. Here's the command. Go and preach the gospel everywhere you go. And as you go, there's going to be some miracles to accompany what you say and what you do. And as you go, make sure you're baptizing them like we will do in two Sundays. We got to make sure you're baptized. But above all that, don't just preach and don't just perform miracles. Take the time 
time to bring them in close and disciple them and teach them to observe everything I've commanded. Ooh. Oh, Lord, dare I ask right now, how many people are keeping this command? Something's happened on my phone, Pastor. Hold up, what's going on down here? Are we keeping this command? Can I, let, me, let me illustrate this if I can. Ella, I won't make Ella come up here, but if I were to tell Ella, Ella, go and clean your room. And Ella comes back a little later and she says, I memorized it. Memorized what? Go and clean your room. And I can repeat it in the Hebrew and the Greek. And on top of that, I'm going to have some friends come over later on this afternoon, and we're going to study what it means to go and clean our rooms. But am I going to reward her for just memorizing the command I gave her? The reward comes from, get that room clean now or else. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad you've memorized Matthew 28 and Mark 16. I'm glad you can repeat it in the Greek and the Hebrew. I'm thankful you've studied it and you know it inside and out. But until you do it, memorizing it means nothing. Go. Pastor Beth didn't just preach what he preached last week. He put it into practice. How many miles did Pastor Beth run yesterday? 18, 20? Maybe how many run? 3,000? Yeah, whatever. Okay. While he was running, he got the witness to two different people. Why? Because he doesn't just memorize scripture. He does what he's told to do. Come on, somebody put your hands together. Thank God for pastors <laughs> who practice what they preach. What about you, pastor? Oh, I'm not done yet. I was sick this week. Hello, what about you? Are you hello, somebody. I'll still witness the people, sure. <laughs> you need Jesus. <laughs> I hope you get him later. <laughs> I don't know. It was a rough week. What is my point? We, we are called by God to have church on Sunday, sure, or whenever we gather here. Let's have church. But we are destined of God to be the church when we leave this place. Come on, somebody. You know how this works. In church, we get to sing about God. But out there, we get to show off how great our God is. In here, we get to, we get to discuss God's love. But out there, we get to display God's love to the world. Can I get an amen? amen? My Lord, I don't want to just come in here and keep verbally proclaiming the gospel. I, I want to go out there and visibly demonstrate that I got an unfailing, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, unchanging God, and he wants to change your life as well. If you believe this gospel is still relevant for today, can you say amen? If you believe this gospel will never be irrelevant, if you believe this gospel is still the answer to every issue, to every situation, to every problem, in every season of your life, put your hands together and say, yes, I believe this gospel is still for today. And now John chapter 4. All right. John 4. Thank you, Zion. John 4, 4 says... Jesus had to go. Someone say he had to go. He had to go through Samaria. Wow. Why? Okay. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, and near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So clearly, you know, uh, Old Testament patriarchs, Jacob was there at one point in time. He gave this to his son. And there he also had a well. It was called Jacob's Well. 
And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. Everyone say it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, the Samaritan woman said to him, uh, wait, what? You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Okay? They thought they were superior, thought they were better. Okay? Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, this woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from this well himself and also did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered her. He says this, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. What's the weather going to be today? Anybody know? Hot. Like desert hot. Like it's a good thing I'm preaching about hell because you walk outside like, ooh, I don't want nothing to do with this forever. And if I saw correctly, it's only going to get hotter as the week goes on, right? Good Lord, talk about the end of summer. Just, just one little kick in the, you know, pants for you. Just, God, oh yeah, summer's still here. It's going to be hot this week. What happens when you get really hot? You get thirsty, thirsty, just I'm thirsty. This woman was thirsty. Clearly, she came, she came to get something to drink. And isn't this awesome about your Savior? Jesus knows how to connect to thirsty people. In fact, I love this account because here's what he does. He doesn't just wait for you to come to church. He goes to your own turf. He meets you where you are. If you'll read the Gospels, you will see that there are 132 different times that Jesus had contact with people in the Gospels. 132 different times. Now check this out. Guess how many were in church? Ten. Six times in the Jewish temple and four times in different synagogues. Ten. Out of 132 contact with people, Rev, that means he only had contact with people ten times in church. So 122 other times he was meeting people in their daily lives, in their daily situations. In fact, if you know this about Jesus, the religious people, part of the reason they hated him so much is because they always saw him connected with people they deemed to be outcasts and rejects. That's why in Luke 5, verse 30, the Pharisees and their scribes have been grumbling to Jesus' disciples saying, why do you eat? and drink with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus answered to them and said, is it not those, are, those who are well? They don't need a physician. It's those who are sick that need a physician. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I love this about my Savior because Jesus connects with humanity. But not only does he connect with us, he will cross barriers to connect with us. He will cross cultural barriers because Jews did not travel through Samaria they traveled around it but Jesus had to go through it Jesus will cross social barriers he's a rabbi she's a woman they're not supposed to have any kind of contact Jesus will cross religious barriers because the Samaritans were just a mixed race of the Assyrians and Hebrews and what they did is they mixed the worship of Yahweh with the worship of pagan gods but Jesus will cross every barrier to make a connection and here's one more
more, and I know you can shout at this. Jesus will cross out the barrier of sin and death that kept me from God so that you and I can cross over from death unto life. Something about my Savior, he connects to humanity by crossing over the barriers we put in place. Look at verse 6 again. Verse 6 again. There's Jesus just chilling at the well. He's just waiting. He sent the disciples on to get some food, but he's just waiting. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for that woman to come. And how did Jesus know she was going to show up? I need you to know that God is so invested in your success. God is so invested in your healing. He's so invested in your deliverance and in your life that he knows where you're going to be before you ever even get there. That's how he knew she was going to be there. And I love this because look who's sitting at the well. Jesus didn't tell his disciples to wait for the woman. He didn't tell an angel to sit and wait. He didn't send Buddha or Muhammad. The son of God himself is sitting there waiting for you to show up. He is waiting on you. And he knows you're going to get there eventually. Your crazy self with your messed up past life and and those things that that you used to do and sometimes you still do. He knew you were going to show up. And he knew at the right moment once you got there, once you got there, you wouldn't be there alone. Because he'd be sitting there waiting for you to get there. And that's why we got to praise him, family. We got to praise him because even while we were drunk, he waited on us. Even while we were still bound by addiction, he waited on us. Even when we were selling drugs and, and Gang banging. He waited on us. Even when we were lost in our sin and our shame, he sat there waiting for us to come to the well. Even when you confused, even when you were hateful, even when you were racist, he sat there waiting for you to come to him. Somebody put your hands together and praise the God. Even though people give up on you, even though people get tired of waiting for you to get it right, he will never give up on you. He waited for waited for. Now normally, normally here's what happens. In this time period, in ancient time period, the women would come and draw water. Not at noon. That's the hottest point of the day. We're in the desert, bro. No. They came early. So the sun was rising. That's when it was still the cool of the day. All the women would come and they would gather with all the water that they needed for washing and cleaning and cooking. Gathering what they needed, bringing it back home while it was still cool out. And this woman goes alone at noon. Why? Verse 16. Jesus told her, Go and call your husband. Come back. Ooh, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Anyone ever had just a man or woman of God just read your mail like that? What you're saying is true. Here's how jacked up you really are. Oh, shoot. God knows me. He loves me. Here's what's crazy about this. In the first century, women were not allowed to actually seek a divorce. Only the man could do that. Get that? Only men had that right. 
So when Jesus tells her, you have had five husbands, the implication is that she has been personally rejected by five different men. And now she's shacking with the friend. The man you are living with now, you're not even married to. Six different dudes. So now we understand why she goes to the well alone in the heat of the day. She goes to hide. She's there to hide. To hide from the embarrassment of her sin. To hide from the judgment and the gossip of the other women. To to hide from the shame of being rejected by five different men. And I want to preach to the people in this place today who understand what this woman feels like. You understand what it's like. I want to talk to the people who have been rejected. I want to talk to the people who have been gossiped about. I want to talk to those people in the room that have been misjudged. I want to talk to the people who feel, you know, it feels like nobody sees you and no one really cares about you. And they just use you for what they can get out of you. And then they toss you to the side like you're garbage. I want to speak to the people who have had to hide in your shame because I've got good news today. You don't have to hide anymore. Someone is sitting at that well waiting for you to show up and he's about to Change your life for the better. Six relationships. Don't want to ask how many you've had. Six different relationships that we know of. Six. She's on her sixth relationship. And then what does Jesus do? He shows up and says, if you only knew the gift of God. What a pickup line, bro, right? That is not what Jesus was trying to do. He said, you've had six, six that have done you wrong. Six is the biblical number of man. But he says, let me be the seventh man in your life. Because biblically, the number seven symbolizes completion or perfection. So Jesus is saying, let me be that perfect relationship that your life has been missing. And then once I come in to your life, I will transform your life. And now you will be able to say, my life feels complete because I found the seventh man. So seven speaks to completion and perfection. But I read this last night, Rev. Seven also speaks to, it's a biblical number linked to exoneration and healing. In Deuteronomy 15, God instructs the Israelites every seventh year to cancel all the debts and to set every slave free. Every seventh year. The number seven means I can be free and exonerated from my past mistakes. But it also means healing because Jesus literally on the seventh day, the Sabbath, seven different times healed people who were sick. I want to declare today when Jesus showed up at that well, he was showing up to let this woman know I had to go through Samaria because there's a woman there who needs to know that in spite of her past, that in spite of her mistakes, that in spite of her shame, even in spite of her religion, I came to exonerate her. I came to heal her. I came to show her perfect love. I came to complete her life. I need this woman to know that I am the author and the perfecter, the finisher of her faith. Look at somebody and say, let him be number seven. Number seven. And this is just for the people who need healing. Let him be number seven. This is just for the people who need perfect love. Let him be number seven. This is for the people that need to be exonerated from some things. You just need to be free from it. Let him be number seven. In your life today. 
Look how this ends, verse 28. I'll wrap it up. Ooh, I got nine minutes left, Pastor Oak. Come on, somebody, somebody are praising. Look at verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Who better to share Christ's love and forgiveness and healing and exoneration with others than somebody who has fully received it? You know what I'm talking about? Throw up a hand in this room. Come on, you've received that love and forgiveness. Who better to share that with others? Come and see this man who's told me everything I've, I've, I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. You mean people can put faith in Jesus just based on my testimony? Isn't that what Pastor Bethel was trying to teach us last week? Maybe they can sit there and, and, and refute scripture with you nonstop and try to talk about the historical aspects of things and, and where things don't collaborate and where there's contradiction. You can argue with people all day long, but what they can't argue with is your personal testimony. Maybe you don't believe this, but believe me when I tell you this is where I was and this is where I am now because God pulled me out of it. Because God transformed my life. Because God is so good. Ooh. Many believe because of her testimony. So the woman at, well, at the well now becomes the, the witness at the well. She's now the woman ready to proclaim the gospel everywhere she goes. But look at verse 28 real quick. Look at verse 28 real quick. Because notice what she forgot. Leaving her water jar. Oh, I don't know about you ladies and gentlemen, whether it was intentional or not. But I'm so grateful to know she left her burden behind. She, that thing that kept her in shame, that thing that kept her in hiding, she said, I'm just going to put down my agenda, and I'm going to go forth, and I'm going to spread this good news. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell everyone I know, I, I met a man at a well. In fact, come and see. Come and see this. Come and meet this man who's told me about everything I've ever done. So she leaves her water jar, and that, that's why she left it. That, because come and meet this God who, who knows everything about me and still loves me anyway. Come and meet this God who knows everything I've done and still calls me his own. That's why I can leave the jar. That's why I can run to the city. That's why I can grab everyone that I can meet and tell them, you need to meet this man because he knows me and he still wants me. He still wants me. Everything I've ever done, he knows me. The Bible tells us a revival was set off in that moment in that town. The whole town came out. And then they begged Jesus to stay a couple more days. So Jesus hung out. And if you read it, I don't have it on the screen, but if you keep reading, you'll see what they say. They said, initially we believed because of what you told us, girl. But now we believe because we've seen him and heard him for ourselves. Maybe they don't believe you, but if you can just get them where Jesus is, they will be able to see and hear for themselves. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Let me wrap this up. Fast forward to Acts chapter 8. The Apostle Philip now. He's preaching and holding a revival. And where is he holding it? In a place called Samaria. A revival happening in Samaria. 
This revival was crazy if you read chapter 8 of Acts because here's what happened. Demons are being cast out. Sorcerers are getting saved. Miracles are happening all over town. And who laid the foundation for this revival? A rejected, shameful, sinful woman who was hiding at a well. But this woman laid the foundation for revival to break out in an entire country. Come on, somebody. I'm not focused on your past right now. I'm focused on where you are and where you're going. God pulled you out of your past because he's got a present and a future for you to obtain. This great outcast of a woman has now become a great soul winner for Jesus. Pastor, you told me just a moment ago. Well, it wasn't a moment ago. It was probably more like 40 moments ago. But you told me the command from Matthew 28 and Mark 16 is called the Great Commission. Shouldn't it be the most educated, the most important, the most influential, the most knowledgeable, the, the people with the most Bible degrees hanging on the wall, shouldn't they be the ones to take the Great Commission all over the world? Ooh. What I see here is I see an outcast preaching the gospel. This is why I praise him. Maybe you don't realize it, but I praise him because he has entrusted me, an outcast, to take this great commission to the ends of the earth. Somebody who's just grateful today, just say, thank you, Lord. I'm thankful that you've entrusted me, a great outcast, to carry your great commission to the ends of the earth. And who better than to share the love and forgiveness and exoneration and healing of Jesus than those of us who have received it at the fullest. If that's you and I'm speaking to you today, come on and lift your hands and say, thank you, Lord, that I am free. Thank you, Lord, that I am healed. Thank you, Lord, that I am forgiven. Thank you, Lord, you're going to use me for your glory. I don't deserve it, but you've chose me anyway. Amen. Let me give you five things and we're done. And I mean, I'm going to be quick about these five things. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Or you want to take a picture of the screen, do so. The whole reason we started this series to populate hell had nothing to do with trying to like, scare you out of hell. Okay? I mean, that happens, Sure. Y'all don't remember three weeks ago when I played the sounds of hell. People stopped coming after that. I don't know why, but <laughs> I don't know. But we played that. Crazy, right? And that's the eternal destination. <sighs> Amen. That should, that should freak us out. That people on our, our block, people that we go to school with, work with, family members, Close relationships. Some of those people are going straight to hell unless a reject like yourself decides to tell them, come and see a man who's changed my life and he can do the same for you because he's still the only way out of eternal damnation. 
There are not many paths that lead to God. There are not many ways to God. There's only one. And Jesus said it himself, so don't get mad at me. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one gets to the Father except if you come through me. So I want to encourage you, no matter how you feel about yourself, if God has done something for you, then let your testimony do the talking. And let your co-workers know. And your neighbor know and your family members know let them know there is a God who loves you and he doesn't want to spend eternity without you the first verse we read from Timothy God wants all to be saved all of us so let me give you these five things because I'm not just trying to keep you out of hell I'm trying to keep the people you love out of hell number one We must learn to demonstrate the love of Jesus before we declare the love of Jesus. I'm just taking what Pastor Bethel said last week and just kind of putting it in my own words. Okay. Uh, Pastor Bethel used the, the analogy, but <clears throat> I don't feel like God is calling me to go stand on, on the corner of Lincoln and Galena, Pastor Bethel, and, and, and preach from a soapbox. I just, you know, get, a, get a megaphone and just start hollering at people. I don't feel like I'm supposed to do that. I don't. Here's what I do feel I'm supposed to do supposed to demonstrate God's love everywhere I go and then let that love open the door for me now to declare the love of Jesus Woo. so let's demonstrate his love before we go telling people they're on their way to hell can I get an amen amen all right second thing I want to tell you is this studies have indicated that here in China, people have to be exposed to the gospel about six different times before they accept the Lord. Six different times. Okay? Whether that's you talking to them or them listening to a sermon or coming to church. On average, they have to hear it six different times before they finally say, oh, yeah, I want Jesus. You can be sitting in the service, you'll repeat the sinner's prayer with me and then afterwards we'll talk again. And I'll be, Did you pray the prayer? Yeah. Do you want to accept Jesus? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I, I just prayed with you, but now I'm going to pray with you. Fine, whatever. It's because we have to hear it multiple times. Oh, not everybody. I get that. Some people get it the first time. They're like, wait a second. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior? Oh, cool. All right, good. Fine. I surrender. Some of you, you're probably on the, you're probably on the higher end of that. That's why we have to have that number six up there, right? Because you've heard the gospel for years. And thank you, Jesus. Next thing. When sharing your faith with others, always make sure you ask them this. Ask them this question. Say, is there anything that would hinder you from receiving Jesus as your Savior and Lord right now? Like what's stopping you from just accepting Jesus into your life right now? Just ask him. Well, I'm not ready, or uh, um, I don't really go to church, or uh, there's some other things I still want to do first. Why wait? We're not promised tomorrow. Let's just receive Jesus right now. Ask him. Just ask him that. Next thing. We don't feel the pressure to lead people to Jesus. Hear me? Hear me. It's a commandment, but it's not a commandment of pressure. I'm not pressed to lead people to Jesus. I have a responsibility to sow the seed about Jesus. That's what I have. Okay? That's what I do. I can't strong arm you into the kingdom. You're not going to come. Right? You just make me believe you're really there and still on your way to hell. No. So I don't feel pressure. 
I feel responsibility. Let me sow this seed. And if they choose to accept Jesus, awesome. If they don't, ah, yeah. don't feel like all burdened and condemned afterwards. Like, oh man, I just messed up. Just sow the seed about Jesus. Tell them what he's done for you. Last thing. People always want to tell me we, we need more corporate worship and we need more fellowship. And you're right. They are important. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We're going to worship and have fellowship forever in heaven. But you only have this life to share the gospel. This life. Now. Right now. Ooh, I'm thankful. We get to heaven. I, I, I promise you, some of you, you, you've gotten so like toned down and casual on Sundays sometimes. Man, heaven's going to be a crazy party, bro. You ain't ready. The dancing and shouting and singing we're going to be doing forever, it's going to be wild. And some of you are so conservative and quiet and just like, when you get to heaven, you're going to be like, wow. It's going to be crazy. But when we get to heaven, we're going to be doing all that forever. And we're going to be hanging out forever. And we're not going to get mad at each other ever. And we won't find anybody's last nerve. Ooh, somebody better rejoice because that person's in next to you right now. God, they always find that last nerve. Ooh, praise the Lord. Heaven's going to be amazing. But don't tell me we need more worship and we need more fellowship. Don't tell me that. What we need are more people to recognize that the time is short and the field is ripe for harvest right now. Don't say four months. Keep reading John 4. Jesus says, don't say four months and then the harvest. The fields are ripe right now. So somebody help me pray to the Lord of the harvest. God, send forth laborers into your harvest field that we might reach everyone. If you can with me, stand your feet with me right now and I'm done. Thank you, Jesus. With our hands raised high right now. Help me ask this. Father, we ask of you, because you are the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into the field. God, send out people who are willing to do the work. Send out men and women who are going to, to talk and share Christ. Send out men and women who, who will preach the gospel. Send them out, God. Send them out. Use their social media. Use their videos. You, use them at work. Use them at school. Use them on the campus. God, use them in their neighborhood. God, use them at the, at the supermarket. God, use them at the mall. God, wherever they show up, God, use them to begin to reach people. Because there are men and women right now who will absolutely reject what you have to say, sure. But there are others just waiting on you to show up and tell them, come and see a man who can change your life. God, I'm asking in these last days that you would make us laborers. God, let our light shine bright so that everybody in our neighborhood, everybody in this city, everybody we're connected to would see our good works and begin to glorify the Father in heaven. Time is short. And I don't want people I love going to hell. I don't. I don't. So God, use me. Are you somebody to reach the people I love? In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior today, let's not leave this place 
and maybe end up in hell. No. Let's make sure your destination is eternal life. And he's sitting at the well waiting for you to show up. So pray this prayer with me right now to say, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to forgive me of all my sins. I believe you love me because you know me. I ask you now to come into my life and transform me from the inside out. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're in heaven preparing a place for me to be with you forever. Thank you for your love. Help me now to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you said that prayer and you meant it, angels in heaven are rejoicing right now. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You have received the gospel.